Our reading comes from Genesis chapter 4, reading from verses 1 to 16. It can be found on page 6. So Genesis chapter 4, reading from verses 1 to 16. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, East of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mike. So, good morning, everyone. So, Cain was banished to the land of Nod. I will try my very hardest to avoid any of you nodding off during this. And uh, I I thought I'd start, actually, just by sharing uh, how yesterday went for me. Uh, West Ham didn't play, so uh, so that that, that at least didn't spoil it. But something else did. I spent the morning looking after the children uh, because Kate wished to declutter part of the house. This happens fairly regularly. And uh, I did that. We got back at lunchtime. Uh, the stuff had been, had been put away where we needed to take it, some to the charity shop, some to the, the dump. Children were sent to bed or to, for quiet time in their bedroom uh, so that I could then go out and take uh, these things to the dump and the charity shop, some of which uh, the children might not have wanted us to take. Anyhow, so I go off to do that. Charity shop first, that all's fine. Get to the dump. And uh, unfortunately, I just got, I had loads of things that I had to carry, and I was desperately trying to reduce the number of leg times I had to go backwards and forwards from the car. So um, I got as much as I could, carried it, uh, together with my car keys, and, um, <laughs> and uh, went to the general waste recycling skip and threw it all in there. And, um, I mean, that, uh, some, I don't, you know, it, it happens. Uh, 
And of course, uh, a little while later, as I went to try and drive uh, home, I discovered that my car keys were not with me. And uh, I remembered, oh no, I was holding them whilst I was throwing all of that stuff. So I then spent half an hour searching through the skip, which was full of yucky stuff. And I wasn't getting anywhere. Couldn't find it at all. And uh, I said to God, help God, I do have another set of keys at home, I think, but they don't work. What do I do? And just at that moment, actually, uh, someone said hello to me, who I recognize. He's on the staff at Beacon Church. And he said, what's wrong? And I told him the story. And he immediately offered to drive me home, uh, pick up the keys, take them to a place where we could get a battery for them, get them working, uh, then see me into the car, see me started, and, uh, and then see me on my way home. So I'm really glad uh, for him that the Lord sent him to help me at that very stressful and traumatic time because I really upset about it. Um, but of course, the upset I was feeling, there was nothing compared to the upset I expected to find at home. So I get home. Kate's there. Kate, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I've thrown the keys of the car in a skip and I can't find them. And, uh, and she was in hysterics. And she rang her mother-in-law and they were both in hysterics for the next hour. And uh, she told me with this massive grin, on her face that, Tom, this is fantastic. We've added you to our list of truly ridiculous things that only Tom could do. <laughs> Which it turns out is quite a lengthy list. And I discovered much to what I might have expected. That actually the answer to the question, how do I please Kate? Is to do something completely stupid. Well, now we're going to consider an even more important point than how do we please Kate? How do we please God? What's your answer to that question? I'll give you 30 seconds. Think what you would say. And if you want to share it with the person next to you, go for it. All right, 30 seconds. What would you say? Okay, well, there's some chatter going on that suggests someone has been brave enough to volunteer something. But you don't have to tell me, but who, just a quick show of hands, who found that an easy question to answer? Okay, about five of you. (laughs) Good, well, you can preach next week. (laughs) Well, the good news is this passage, okay, uh, does, I believe it or not, because it's so old, it's the second oldest story in the Bible. It goes back that far. And yet I want to suggest to you that it gives us or takes us quite a long way in answering that question, how can we please God? So even though it is that ancient, I believe it can speak to us today, and it's, of course, a tragic story as well. So let's pray now that God would just take this, this story of Cain and Abel and in different ways speak to us in our lives today and that we might know better how to live to please God. So, Father, we want to please you. We want to learn from the mistakes of others. You put this story in your word for a reason. We want to be inspired by those we should be inspired by. We want to be challenged by the ways in which this passage challenges us. And Lord, would you bring real change and transformation into our lives through your word and your spirit, convicting us, inspiring us, encouraging us and comforting us. Thank you, Father. 
Amen. Okay, so on with this sermon. And um, the first, uh, it's really a one-point sermon, actually, uh, with a few different aspects. And the first aspect of the answer to that question, how do we please God, is this. We actually want to please him. By which I mean a genuine and sincere desire to please him and a willingness to take the actions that allow us to do that. So the contrast here, as I set this out at the beginning, is not with the person who doesn't know that God exists, who doesn't believe in God. It's with the person who knows full well that God is real and has given us many good things but who rather than joyfully offering their lives back to him in gratitude, instead grudgingly simply does the bare minimum necessary to conform to his rules and to avoid incurring his wrath. So that's the contrast that we're drawing here. And it's the contrast that we see so clearly in Cain and Abel. I believe it's the moral, the main moral of that story and why it's here. And certainly if we use the rest of the Bible to help us interpret it, Hebrews 11 actually has a little commentary on Cain and Abel, and so I'm going to draw on that as well. And uh, let's just remind ourselves, first of all, what actually happened. Uh, Verse 2 picks up the story. Now Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil, and in the course of time Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions with some, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain he did not look with favour. And Cain, of course, was none too pleased about that. So the Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering. That's what it tells us. Hebrews 11 offers, uh, adds that um, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did and that God spoke well of his offerings. But why? What's the answer to that? Why did God look on favour on Abel but not Cain? Well, we can be fairly sure that it's not because his offering was in, uh, was in crops, Cain's, and, and Abel's is in meat. Of sure, it may well have been the case. In fact, I'm sure it would have been that as today, meat was more expensive than vegetables or crops. But surely Cain can't be blamed for failing to offer something he didn't have any access to. So instead, I think we need to make use of the two clues that are given us in Genesis 4 and in Hebrews 11. The first is in the Genesis account where we read that whereas Cain offered some of the fruits of the soil, Abel offered some of the firstborn of his flock. Now why was that significant? Because the first fruits... When the first fruits or the first livestock appeared, you had no guarantee that any more would follow. And so you were giving God out of what you might need for yourselves in the future, which therefore became a very real sacrifice. And in giving sacrificially in that way, you were, of course, trusting that God would in turn continue to provide. And this is confirmed by our second clue. The assertion in Hebrews 11 verse 4 that it was by faith that Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Abel trusted that though he gave God some of his precious firstborn, he needn't worry because the Lord would continue to provide for all his needs. And maybe there was something else in it as well. And that was that the priority 
and importance of God was clearly in Abel's mind. The analogy of human love relationships is, I think, helpful here. If you've ever been in love, you'll know that more than anyone or anything else, it's to that loved one that our thoughts tend to turn. It is they that are at the forefront of our minds because it's they that are the most important to us and it's they too that we constantly look to please to express our love and our devotion. So maybe there's a similar love relationship here for Abel with his heavenly father. When his firstborn animals came, it was to God that he thought, to God that he turned because he'd not forgotten to whom he owed all good things and because he constantly wanted to please and honour and show love to his father. Contrast that with Cain then. Now all of this is implied, admittedly, rather than stated explicitly, but the absence of the words first fruits from the description of Cain's sacrifice would suggest that he simply gave some of what was left over after the whole harvest had been reaped. God, if you like, got the leftovers the crumbs off the table. Or at least Cain made sure he had everything he needed first before he gave anything to God. So Cain was not exercising faith in his sacrifice and he was hardly showing any love for God either. His first response to the first fruits of his harvest was not one of gratitude or love. Rather, the picture is of a man doing only that which was absolutely necessary once all the harvest was in, and not seeking to delight God with his generosity or devotion, but from the beginning, simply seeking to fulfill his obligations and avoiding any subsequent punishment. Well, of course, he failed in that objective too, and the reason for that was that God sees into the condition of our hearts, just as Jesus did as he walked the earth. He can see whether our motivations are actually a desire to please him, to delight him, or simply motivated by fear. A sense of grudging obligation. That's why God could pronounce to Cain in verse 7 that sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Implication, Cain, you can master it. But Cain, of course, tried not to. So it's about his heart and that's the same reason in the New Testament Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And he loves a cheerful giver because he loves the attitude of love and devotion and gratitude that he can see behind it. So there's an obvious application here to the question of financial giving, isn't there? To you or your family, as far as you are able, and some are not able, but as far as you are able, do you give generously and cheerfully to God's work here or elsewhere? Are you more like Abel or Cain? If you feel you could do more in that area, I I really, really urge you to talk to Howard, our treasurer. He'll be at his table in the garden room afterwards. We know, as in most churches, there's a significant portion of the congregation that probably don't give as much as they could or as much as we might like them to or maybe even as much as they'd like to. But it's something that could be addressed. A change could occur. They could step up 
And I just want to raise that as such an obvious thing to think about. Will we follow Abel's example and give to an extent that we know we're being generous and we know it's sacrificial? Because we're giving out of what we might need for the future, trusting that God will provide what we need. Okay, I'll leave that there as far as finances, financial giving is concerned. But obviously there's a broader application as well though. For God seeks us to give our talents and our time as well as our treasure. So it's about giving him our best in everything. It's about serving. It's about using our gifts. But I also want to suggest it's about prioritizing our own spiritual growth and taking the intentional action, putting the time in, seeking the help so that we are growing week on week, month on month, year on year. And indeed that we're contributing to the growth of others by taking some responsibility to proactively help them to grow too. Because if we're all seeking to grow ourselves and we're all seeking to do what we can to grow others, we're all going to grow. Wouldn't we like that? Of course we would. If we all grow, the church will change. And it's only going to change for the better. The church will grow and people will come in, as they often still do already, to be honest. And say, God, surely God is among them. Because they can see it in our eyes and our faces when we are on fire. They can see it when we're growing. And I can tell you too that you'll feel a lot better, a lot more joyful, a lot more positive, a lot more focused, a lot more fulfilled. We're called to grow. And let's do everything we can to make that happen. And that's so I want to mention our new mentoring program. We'll we'll give you some more details about that later. But just to say on this table over here, we've got some handouts. And um, these are to tell you about the new mentoring program that we're launching. So grab one of those when you leave if this is of interest to you. And um, just to tell you basically what we're going to do. The idea is we know in this church we've got a huge amount of wisdom and experience and uh, a lot of leaders, uh, a lot of people who, if over the next 20 years, they were to seek to pass on what they've learned, their faith, their perspective, their experiences to as many people who are younger in the faith or younger in age as they could, they would be leaving a fantastic legacy. They would be investing in the next generation and the next generation in a really significant way. I want to suggest this is far more important than finances. This is about intentional discipleship of others and making sure all the good things that God has given to us, we are giving away. But here's the thing. If you wait for someone to ask you to do that, it's probably hardly ever going to happen. So what we want to do as a church is create an arrangement by, well, so that it's as easy as possible for that sort of mentoring to go on. So we've got uh, some training uh, sessions, two training sessions in June, Monday the 4th of June, Monday the 11th of June, for people who are interested in being a mentor. And then actually, beyond that, we've also got uh, some training to help you in the relationships in your family which will never be a formal mentoring relationship, but where actually you as a parent or grandparent are about as influential as any other person in your children or grandchildren's lives. So we're running a parenting course as well on Thursday the 7th, the 14th and the 21st of June. So two opportunities 
to get some training so that you can make the most of the relationships you have with people in the church that we might pair you off with or with people in your family who you are already so attached to. So that those relationships and that time spent together becomes really fruitful, really intentional in such a way that grows you through what you learn from having to share of yourself and grows them through what they benefit learning from you. So it seems like a no-brainer. We want to launch the program today in the sense that pick up a leaflet. There's an email address, mentoring at stpaulscam.co.uk. Email that address. Say, I'd be interested in being a mentor. I'd be interested in being mentored. And over the rest of this term, we'll get everyone trained. We'll meet up with those to find out who, how they want to be mentored and what they want to learn and work on. And then we'll match people up before the end of the summer term with a view to then a six to 12-month mentoring relationship going on for the next uh, academic year. Does that sound exciting? Yeah, it'll be great. Really great thing to be doing. And uh, let's go for it. Let's pray for it. And let's see what comes of it. And can I also just say as well what Jan shared in those prayers. Equally, as well as twos, we think threes are so significant. Prayer triplets, meetings, say, once every six weeks, just to be accountable to each other, accountable to each other in our spiritual growth, but also accountable to each other in, in our witness and doing things like what Sam did with her neighbours. If once every six weeks we meet with two other people, we pray into our witness, we pray into our spiritual growth, and we have that degree of accountability, that will cause us to significantly up our game. So two things that we can do that are new this term. Join a prayer triplet and go on one of those two courses or get a mentor. You've got nothing to lose. You've got everything to gain. And if so many of us in this church get involved in that, we are all going to benefit. So that's June. And I think that this is a really significant opportunity for us. And it's putting into practice what we learn from this passage is surely what God wants. He wants us to love him and to give our best for him each day. And to grow not as an obligation, but as an act of joyful devotion. But because sometimes we don't feel like that and don't feel the desire to please him, where he's given us his Holy Spirit, who can produce in us the motivation we need when we don't have it and can nurture our love, strengthen our faith in God's provision and care. All we have to do is ask. If you don't have the desire, pray, God, give me the desire. And I firmly believe he will. It's normal. Our heart does grow cold. Our devotion does diminish Being Cain-like rather than Abel-like is what we default to as human beings. And yet, if we ask him to, God will give us back that passion and that faith. I don't know how he'll do it. He does it in different ways for different people. But if we ask him, we're patient and we keep praying, he'll get us there. That passion, that faith, that love for him will return. So at this point in the sermon now, I just want to take a few minutes out just to hear from Sarah. Don't worry, she does know this is happening. We've been planning this service together and uh, we had a really interesting conversation in which uh, Sarah shared with me 
how she has, at various points in her life, identified with Cain or with Abel. And she's willing, which is great, just to share those two stories, first about Cain and then about Abel, because I think it's going to be a real uh, encouragement and a challenge, actually, to us all. So, Sarah, tell us first then about Cain and how you identify with him now. Um, When we were chatting earlier this week, I was saying that, actually, when I was younger, if you'd asked me that, say, 15 years ago, um, I didn't understand Cain at all. It just... I suppose it seemed extreme to me how you could get to a point where you could hate your own brother that much that you could murder him um, over something as trivial as um, whether you'd got crops or meat or... or it just it didn't make sense. Um, then nine years ago, um, something happened where I discovered that I completely understood Cain. Um, it was... Uh, I was married at the time, and my then husband told me that he'd got another lady pregnant and he would be leaving um, to raise a family with her instead of me and my, the two children that we had had together. Um, and that I was surprised by how deeply that hurts. I'm sure there's other people in the congregation that have been through similar experiences and know that that pain of rejection um, is a really, really deep pain. Um, and part of that is um, an incredible, overwhelming hate <laughs> that I'd, I'd never experienced anything like that before. And uh, I was I was quite surprised by it but I I didn't know how to process it Um, and I can honestly say I did have many murderous thoughts Um, I know exactly what Cain would have felt like that that feeling of being rejected and how do I get rid of this pain well if those people don't exist then I won't have that pain anymore Um, one of my good friends actually is a prison chaplain and she says um, there's quite a few women like me really just ordinary people that you'd meet on the street who have are serving really long sentences where they were in that moment of hate where they caught their um, husband and whoever he was with in adultery and murdered one or both of them. And I mean, it's that real that I think it can happen to any of us. And that's why I need Jesus, because I could be that person. Um, and I, I know what it feels like to that person. And actually just even having those thoughts I know is actually quite horrendous. Um, and what do you do with that? When you're in that place of, of bitterness and hate, um, you, get, you get stuck, and I did. Um, but I was, fortunately, I'd probably been a Christian for about 10 years, so um, luckily my default was to reach to Jesus, which is wonderful. So um, I went to the Psalms, and the Psalms are brilliant because they are full of loads of violent vengeance. <laughs> so you really feel like God understands what you're feeling, um, which was really helpful. Um, but they all turn around. The, they start off explaining those emotions so you feel understood by God, but they come round to, but actually vengeance is God, and we can trust him, and they turn to worship, and they really helped me know that um, I was loved and that there was a way ahead. Um, but, you know, it took years. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, good, I've read a psalm and I'm okay. Um, the other thing that really helped me was I took up kickboxing. Um, that was really great. <laughs> yeah, 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 watch out. <laughs> I, yep. don't, I don't do that now. <laughs> so if any of you want to take on Sarah after the service, you feel free. So, okay, so that's the cane in you. What about the able in you? Tell us. Well, what, how the recent yeah. years, actually, that's become quite a big thing. Well, no, that's quite a different story, I suppose. Um, again, I, I do probably really rely on God in lots of things that I do in life, um, and I'm quite often out of my depth. Um, I've been running my own business for about 10 years now, um, and in my mind, it's like, this isn't mine, I'm just a steward, this is yours, God, I can't actually do this for myself. Um, and 
regularly in my prayer time, God challenges me on what I'm doing. And last year, he challenged me specifically about tithing. Um, and I think I'd possibly reached a point of pride with tithing because I could easily tithe more than 10% of my household income. I could easily tithe more than 10% of my profit from the business. And um, God was like, well, that's not what I'm looking for. Um, and he's challenged me to tithe 10% of the turnover of the business, which is just another world of difference. Um, it, it's a, like put a zero one and add um, the doublet and, and you're in a very different ballpark. Um, so I felt that, that conviction and um, this is where it's like able, I suppose, is that I knew I had to start doing that even though I didn't know how to. So um, I started giving beyond what felt comfortable um, to the extent that, you know, the, the wage bill would be coming up at the end of the month and I'd be like, are we going to really have enough to have this? But I'm, I trusted in faith. And I, um, what's been remarkable, though, is God suddenly opened all these doors. And um, over the course of the last year, the business has just grown tremendously to the extent that we're now opening an office next week in London and I have a whole load of new staff all starting next week. We've got this massive new contract. And I didn't go looking for this. I never had any plans to have a London office. But this was God saying, and now this is the next thing. And, um, and seeing how my... It's a bit like the um, boy with the loaves and fishes. Um, of, this is my pathetic little bit, God. And he's just gone, okay, this is what we're going to do with it. Um, and so now I'm sitting terrified of whether I'm going to manage this business or not. But <laughs> I'm just going to have to keep praying. <laughs> well, thank you, Sarah. So, no, that was really great to hear obviously what was a very difficult experience and then that really amazing miraculous positive one thank you okay we're close to the end so don't worry I'm not going to now preach another 20 minutes but um, I, w- I just wanted to share that or get Sarah to share that with you because I think it makes Cain and Abel a bit more concrete for us for many of us we'll have had times in our lives a bit like Sarah described, when we feel like Cain, when we feel angry and rejected, and we're really struggling with that. And she's shown that there is hope in those times. If we draw on God's transforming power, we can master that crouching of sin at our door. That's as God told Cain that he could. And Sarah also pointed us, I think, to uh, my final point, which is that there is another way in which we can make that journey from Cain to Abel in addition to asking God to change us and allowing his Holy Spirit to change us. And that it's through remembering just how much we have been given. Now, in Abel's case, that was obviously about remembering how God provided these newborn lambs or calves or whatever they were. He knew it was God, ultimately, that gave it to him. And that was precisely, actually, what the Gentiles that Paul condemned in that passage we looked at for Romans 1 last week failed to do, if you just see that on the screen. It says, although they knew God, they knew him because of all that God had given them in the world, all of the created order and the the food and drink and everything else, but they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. That was where they went wrong. They didn't give thanks. It's the same thing that Cain didn't do, or at least didn't do, meaningfully enough. But what our New Testament eyes tell us is we obviously have so much more to thank God for as well. For let's just note this comparison of two sons, two firstborn sons. The first, the firstborn son of Adam, Cain. He took his brother's life out of jealousy and anger. And now the second son, the firstborn son of God, Jesus, he gave his life 
for his brothers and sisters, including each of us, out of his mercy and love. And I love these words in Hebrews 12, pointing us to our wonderful inheritance as believers and contrasting the death of Abel and of Christ. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. That's where we're heading. And we're the church of the firstborn. Isn't that a wonderful name? And it goes on. You have come to God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And he'll be there. We know that, don't we? He's referred to in the New Testament as righteous Abel. And we, as Christians, are righteous in God's sight God's eyes too, because the one truly righteous one, Jesus, died in our place. It's the great exchange, which means that even if we feel like Cain, God sees us as able. The effects of the fall have been reversed. It's a case of back to Eden, paradise restored. And in Romans 12 verse 1, we're told that in the light of all this, in view of God's mercy, Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We don't need any more animal sacrifices. Jesus was the final sacrifice. But the sacrifice that God seeks from us is the sacrifice of a life given totally over to him. But what do we do if we still feel distant from God? What do we do if we still feel like Cain? If we still feel conscious of unconfessed sin? Well, this is where I want to finish. For the Bible also tells us about another younger son who was also a man after God's heart, like Abel, who shared his faith and shared his desire to thank and worship his Lord and whose faith led him to slay a giant, become Israel's king, build the the old Jerusalem and expand the kingdom. But whose sinfulness, like Cain, led him too to murder out of jealousy. In his case, Uriah, the husband of the beautiful Bathsheba. But unlike Cain, when David was eventually confronted by God about it, in his case through the prophet Nathan, He was genuinely repentant. And we have the profound and beautiful and moving and deeply hope-giving words of Psalm 51 recorded for us as a record of his prayer. Words that tell us that however bad we've been, however awful the things we've done might be, however negligent, however cruel, however evil, we are never beyond hope. We're never beyond forgiveness. If we come genuinely back to God, the prodigal son was not turned away. David was not turned away. Peter was not turned away after he denied Jesus three times. Paul was not turned away after he arranged the stoning of Stephen. And so neither will we if we're willing to turn back, to start over again. So where are you this morning? Are you feeling dry and distant from God? Lacking either passion 
or love? Are you angry or jealous or fearful or simply conscious of your sin? When I was away at Easter, after all the services here, I had a break. And I actually was feeling some of those things. I think as a, as a vicar, when you go through those really significant times like Christmas and Easter, it can leave you drained and it can actually leave you feeling a long way away from God. And I prayed while I was away, God, what, well, I said, God, what do I need? What do I need that's going to get me back to where I want to be? And the, the verse or the line from the verse that, that God laid on my heart so, so clearly while I was away was this, create in me a pure heart, O God, create in me. A pure heart, O oh God. And then sure enough, just as he said that to me, whether I prepared this sermon this week, this is what he laid on my heart to say to you, to each of you today, to give us all a chance to start over again. I believe that if I made that my prayer, my life would turn around. And I believe the same thing for each of us. So what I want us to do now is just to take a moment to be honest to be honest about where we're at. So why don't we close our eyes and we're just, I'm just going to lead us through a little time of reflection on the reality of our own lives, the reality of the distance that we feel from God and the reality of the steps that we can take that will bring us back to him. So first, let's just identify how we are feeling. Does God feel distant or close? And let's now, second, identify what do we need to turn away from? What do we need to leave behind? It might be actions. It might be thought patterns. It might be lies which Satan has sown in us. It might be fear. third now, I want us to just identify where we want to get to and what will it feel like when we get there. So let's take a moment just to think about that now. What I want you to do now is just ask God to take you there. Ask him to let, help you to leave behind what needs to be left behind. And ask him to take you to that better place. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you, Father. Well, we're going to move into using Psalm 51 now as a confession. I do want to just invite the band just to come up while I'm doing that. You can still join in, of course. So I've taken some of the verses from Psalm 51 that I felt would be most helpful to us so that we can respond as David did. 
conscious that we may be guilty of something we would desperately want to keep <laughs> to keep secret from others, but which we know God knows about. Or even if we're in a good place anyway, it's a prayer, it's a psalm that can only take us even further to where God wants us to be. So with those things in mind that you've thought about, let's now say together the words on the screen. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And so receive the forgiveness God promises you, because Jesus died for you. You are restored. You are washed clean. And he loves you so, so, so deeply. Amen. Well, we're going to...